0: So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, through verses 14, let's read it, and then we shall pray together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, and it says, Paul speaking to the church of Philippians, he says this, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we listen to it, God, that you would give us hearts that are open, Lord, ears that are open to hear, Lord. And Father, that you would give us a greater desire for you, Lord, just as you desire us. So I pray that you be glorified now, and honored, and I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Have you guys ever met somebody who had a single focus in their life? Somebody who is driven towards a certain goal? You know, you meet certain people, and you ask them what they want to do, and they know exactly what they want to do. They know what college they're going to. They know how they're going to get to that college. They know what job they're going to do, and they have their life mapped out, and they're driven towards that goal. I am not one of those people. Trust me, I'm not. Um, But somebody that was, how many of you guys, I'm sure all you know, Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, when he first came into Apple and he first took over at Apple, they were busy making, trying to make all these different little gadgets. And Steve Jobs said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do two things. We're gonna make two products. We're gonna make a phone and a desktop. That's it. And he said that it was his goal to just make the best phone and the best laptop that there ever was. And what you have now is the iPhone and the iPad and the MacBook, something that's used by everyone, right? I bet most of you in here probably have an iPhone. And it was because Steve Jobs said, I want that end product. And he was focused. He had a goal, and that was the goal that he was running towards. I'm sure many of you know Michael Jordan, right? The greatest basketball player of all time debatable, right? So he made it his goal to be the greatest player. He was in the gym before anybody else. He was driven towards one thing, to be the best player in NBA history. And here in this passage, what we see is we see the Apostle Paul as a person who had focus. He was driven towards one goal. He says, I press on. I press towards the goal. The word in the Greek means to pursue with all haste. Elsewhere in the Bible, he says that, I worked harder than any of them. He says, I worked harder than anybody else. And he says, I I discipline my body and I keep it under control. His whole life was moving towards one single point. And tonight, I want to talk about three major things. I want to talk about, first of all, what was Paul focused on? What was the focus of Paul's life? Secondly, why was he so focused? And thirdly, how do we get that focus? So what was he focused on? Why was he focused on it? And how do you and I get that focus? Well, let's look at the first thing. What was Paul focused on? It says in verse 10, that I may know him. If you were to ask Paul of how to sum up his life's focus, in a short phrase, he would say that I may know him. There's, this something, there's something called the I Wish Song. The I Wish Song is this phenomena in musicals where, it's the, where what happens in the show is mostly in Disney movies. The character enters the scene and the first song that they sing is a song that declares who they are and what they want. So for example, in Snow White, right? She comes out, all the seven dwarves, and she starts singing, I'm wishing for the one I love. To find me today, I'm hoping and I'm dreaming of the nice things he'll say. The show opens and Snow White makes it known, this is my wish. I want to have romantic relationship. And then the rest of the movie is centered around her obtaining that. Or you look at um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Quasimodo, he says, safe behind these, I'm sorry, I'm not singing these, I apologize. But safe behind these windows and these parapets of stone, gazing at the people down below me. All my life, I wonder how it feels to pass a day not above them, but part of them. And for those of you who have seen The Hunchback of Notre Dame, that was his desire. He wanted friendship. He wanted to be with people. Or outside of Disney movies, right? Wizard of Oz, what did Dorothy sing? Somewhere Over the Rainbow. She had a desire for adventure. She wanted to go. She wanted to explore. And each of these different characters, they had this I wish song. The song that defined who they were and what they wanted. And what I want you guys to think about tonight as we talk about this this topic, I want you to think, what is your wish song? What is the thing that you desire and towards what are you aiming your life? For some of us, it may be obvious. For others of us, we may have to think about it and we're not really sure. But I promise you this that there is something that your heart desires and you are going for it. Maybe you're like Snow White and all you want is that Prince Charming. You just want that relationship. If you get that, everything will be perfect. Or maybe you're like Quasimodo. You just feel like you, no one accepts you and you just wanna be accepted. You just wanna know that you are known. You wanna know that you are wanted. Or maybe you're like Dorothy, who just simply seeking adventure. You want to go to a land that's beyond this one, somewhere better. This idea that the grass is greener somewhere else. But if you were to ask Paul, what is your wish song? Paul, what is the thing that you wish for? He would tell you this, to gain the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him. This was the wish of Paul's life And I would submit to you that it should be the aim and the goal of every Christian's life here tonight. But what does it mean when Paul says, I I want to know him, I want to know God? You know, in the English language, unfortunately we're kinda at a loss here when we speak about this word, know. Because clearly, when I say that I know my car and I know my mom, I'm talking about two different types of knowledge right? When I say I know my car, I say I know that it's a Mitsubishi Lancer 2002, it's gray, it's got black rims. When I say I know my mom, it doesn't mean that I just know that she has short black hair, but it means I know how she reacts when I disobey her. It's not good, right? I know how she acts when, when I give her a hug. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I, I know her personally. And I would suggest that tonight, many of you may know God like I know my car. You know, you know about the Bible, you know that there's 66 books, you know that there's a, a man named Jesus who came and he died and he saved my sins and that I need repentance and these are all true things. But do you know him like you know a person? Is it personal? Do you know about God or do you know him? There's a big difference between those two things. And what Paul is saying here is he knows God, but he wants more. He says, I have one aim. I have one focus, and that is to know my Savior. I crave to know his love for me, to have a greater understanding of what it means that I am saved, that I am justified, sanctified, and glorified. Paul wanted to know what that meant and so when we look at Paul he has this laser beam focus he has one single point and that is where he is going but it makes me ask the question what made him so focused because I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look at the life of Paul we might think to ourselves well my life is not aimed towards knowing God And maybe it is, but I sure don't want to know him as bad as Paul wants to know him. Why did Paul want to know him so badly? Why was that the aim and the goal of his life? And so that brings us to the second point of why was Paul so focused on this goal of knowing God? And I think it's very important here that we must stop and remember who Paul used to be. You see, Paul, didn't grow up making his aim to know God. In fact, Paul, if you remember, his name was formerly Saul. And as Saul of Tarsus, Paul had one aim, and his aim was to kill Christians. Paul had one aim. His aim was to persecute the church of the very person that he is saying now, I make it my goal to know him. What happened? You know, it's fascinating, in the Greek, where he says, I press on, that same word is used in verse 6 for persecute. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, I used to pound the church, but now I pound my body in discipline. There's a complete change, a conversion. So what happened in Paul's life? And I, the answer is found in verse 12 The second half, he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says this. It says to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold by Christ Jesus. Please stop and listen to what this sentence is saying because this sentence sets the framework and the foundation for what you believe about the Bible and what you believe Christianity is. You must understand the order of what Paul is saying here. Paul says this. He says, I have been taken a hold of, and therefore, I take hold of. Paul says, I have been grabbed, and therefore, I grab. He says, I am known, and therefore, I make it my aim to know. And that is so beautiful because of this very reason. This goes against every other worldview, every other mindset that we possess in our world today. In every other situation in our lives, we're called first to press on. It starts with you. Christianity is the opposite. Think about it. Think about your life. You say, I want that scholarship. Well, guess what? You better play really good during this season or you're not getting it. You say, I really want to go to that school. Well, you better do good in your class. You better have a good enough GPA to get it. You say, I want to be loved. I want to be in that relationship. Well, you better look a certain way, and you better weigh a certain amount. Our life, our society, everything we do is based on our performance, where it says you must press on, and if you press hard enough, you'll get it. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. It starts with what he has done for you. Guys, you must understand this point. If you do not understand this point, the rest of your life you will spend chasing, forgetting that there was somebody who chased after you. Paul says, I grab hold because I have been grabbed hold of. Christianity starts with God. He is the initiator John Stott says it beautifully when he says this he says the Bible reveals a God who long before it even occurs to men and women to turn to him while they're still lost in darkness and sunk in sin takes the initiative he rises from his throne lays aside his glory and stoops to seek until he finds them do you see how beautiful that is the Bible says that Christ died for you when when you were perfect When you're on your way to being perfect? No, when you were still a sinner, he died for you. He took the initiative. There is nothing like that in this world except in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Christ had never taken a hold of Paul, he would have been spending the rest of his life persecuting the church and never pressing on toward this goal of knowing Christ. I'm sure many of you have heard of Newton's third law, right? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If I, in my car, am driving and I hit a person, and you, on your bicycle, are riding and hit a person, who's flying farther? The person who gets hit with the car, right? Obviously, unless I'm going like two miles an hour. But the point is that the more action that you have, the greater the reaction that is going to occur. And you see, in Paul's life, He had not just been touched by God, he had been taken hold by God. When we look at the story of Saul of Tarsus, as he's traveling on the road of Damascus, a bright light shines and it says that he falls to the ground. He's literally blinded by the light. That's a song, but that's not what I'm talking about. He was blinded by the light and it transformed who he was. And so the reality is, is that to the degree that you have been grasped is is the degree to which you are going to grasp. The greater you understand that Christ has laid hold of you is to to the degree that you are going to seek to lay hold of him. And Paul realized this. He realized that he had been taken hold of by Christ, and this transformed him. It didn't merely just change a few things about him. He didn't become a better person he was transformed. He went from persecuting to pressing on. He went from pounding the church to pounding his body in discipline. His whole life was now reoriented towards one point of knowing God. And I want to ask you guys today are you not satisfied with your spiritual life? Are you sitting here today and you say, I want that? I look at Paul and I want that. I want to know him more. Do you have a desire to know Jesus Christ more, the one who has made it his mission to lay hold of you? Well, to the degree that you want that is to the degree that you are going to make it your goal and your aim in life to obtain that. Thirdly, how do we get it? How do we get this focus? How did Paul obtain this focus? The first step, and this is something that is so important, is that you have to understand that Jesus Christ has first laid hold of you. You must understand that Jesus Christ has first laid hold of you. If you don't start with that, you will miss the whole point. See, the gospel is against earning, but it is not against effort. The gospel is against earning, but it's not against effort. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this, is that the Bible tells us that you cannot earn salvation. And that if you spend your time trying to earn your salvation, you will get nowhere. But once you recognize and realize that he has earned salvation for you, we then make it our effort to lay hold of him. But you cannot earn acceptance before God. But once you realize that you are accepted, you make it all of your aim to run towards him. Your effort is to know him. Paul said in Colossians one twenty nine. he said, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He said, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What Paul is saying, he's saying, I strive, I labor. Why? Because he is working in me mightily. And to the degree that you understand that he's working in you mightily is to the degree that you are going to strive and run after him. You must realize that he has laid hold of you. And so I want to talk about what are three things, what are three practical things that you and I can do to make it our effort, to make it our aim to run after him. The first thing that Paul does is this. In verses 7 and 8, it says that he takes an account. He takes an account. It says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. What Paul's talking about here, those two verses there, words there where he says, I do not count gain and what I have lost. They're accounting terms. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's painting this picture. He's saying, on one side of the column, I've added up everything that I thought was gain to me. In, verses, in the first verses of this chapter, he lists those things. He says, he's, he's made confidence in ritual, he says in verse, um, verse four, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yep, verse four, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And what Paul does is he says, look at all of these things. Look at the rituals that I did. I I went every single day to the temple. I did all the things that were required of me. The tradition, I followed the tradition. Rank, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was on the top of the top. As far as rule keeping, I kept every single rule, he said. He made it his goal to do these things. But what does he say? He says all of those things compared to knowing Christ is Rubbish. Rubbish. Which actually, the translators are very, uh, I guess you could say, they don't usually, they're very kind in using the word rubbish. The word actually is dog poop. Yeah, it's literally dog excrement in the Greek. And Paul is saying that all of these things, my, my heritage, my tradition, my law keeping, all of these things compared to knowing God are dog poop. And so what he's saying here in essence is saying you can have the bread of life or you can have a pile of dung. And so you have to ask yourself, what do you prefer? What do you prefer? Do you prefer the, the, the dung of religious effort, earthly praise, and prestige, or the eternal joy of knowing Christ as your Savior and Lord? Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty six, he said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, what in my life am I counting as gain? Is it the family background that I come from? Is it the fact that that I go to Impact every single Friday and my friends don't? What are you considering as the thing that defines you, the the place where you receive that acceptance and that gain? If you were to ask Paul, he would say, I find my worth in Christ Jesus. I find my worth in knowing him. And yet he says that he's lost everything. And if you look back at Paul's life, he really lost everything. His friends left him. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. And yet he says, I count all that as rubbish. It doesn't even matter because I want to gain Christ. But he wasn't, we have to realize that Paul wasn't complaining. See, what happened is is that Paul realized, I've spent my whole life trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying, he spent his whole life trying to earn his worth. The reason that he persecuted the church was because he thought that Christians were rebellious. He thought that they were going against the true God. And he said, God, I will kill these Christians for you. He was zealous. He was so dedicated to this cause. And yet, once he realizes what Christ has done for him, he's filled with joy and he realizes that nothing is compared to knowing him. There's a similar story of this in Hebrews talking about Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty-four 24 to 26, it says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his greater reward. See, what happened was Moses was Remember the story of Moses, Moses is placed in a basket, he goes down the river, he's found by the Egyptian princess, brought into the family, and Moses had it made. Moses was probably in line to become a prince of Pharaoh. He had before him all the riches of the land, he had prestige, power, everything that we could want, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go be a part of this dirty desert tribe known as the Israelites, why? because he was looking for a greater reward. And you guys need to stop, and you need to count up your blessings and ask yourself, do the things that I am chasing, how do they weigh compared to knowing Christ? And this was something that Paul did, and he counted up all these things, all the things that he counted as gain, and he realized, this is rubbish. I don't want any of this, because I can know Christ. But see, you have to realize that what Paul wasn't doing is he wasn't saying that, well, I don't need to follow the law anymore. I, don't need to, I can stop doing following the law. I don't need to obey God. I just, I just want to know Christ. But what happened is, is his relationship to the law was changed. You see, before, he spent his whole life trying to earn salvation. He said, I need to do these things because I need to know that I am accepted. But then he realized that Christ had reached and grabbed hold of him. Christ had initiated, he had made the first move. And now he wanted to follow the the law, not because he had to earn it, but because he recognized that this is how I know God better. And so what this does is it it creates a humility in our hearts. If you spend your whole life trying to earn your salvation, you are going to be the most prideful, arrogant person ever. Because what you're going to do is you're going to find people around you and you're going to say, okay, I'm doing better than them, doing better than them, that person's really bad. Or, and you start to minimize everybody else so that you can make sure that you're doing better. But once you realize that you cannot earn anything but that is Jesus Christ who has earned it for you. It transforms the way that you live. Because now, I can't look at somebody and say, I'm better than them, because I'm not any better than them. It's only by God's grace that I am who I am. And that's why Paul said, I want to be hidden in Him. I want to be hidden in Christ. Because he recognized if I stand before God in my efforts, they're going to look like garbage. But when he saw, that the initiation of Christ was the thing on which he built his salvation. There was freedom, and there was joy, and there was humility. And that's why you have to remember that, again, the gospel is against earning, but it is not against effort. Secondly, forgetting what's behind. So firstly, Paul says that he he takes an account of these things. He counts up all of these things, and he realizes that they are rubbish. But secondly, he forgets what's behind. In verse 13, he says, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so Paul does two things. He forgets past failures and he forgets past victories. First thing is he forgets past failures. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, you know what, that sounds great. I want to run after Christ. I want to make the aim of my life to know him. But if you knew my life, God would not want to know me. Maybe there is shame in your life. Shame over things that you have done or things that have been done to you. And because of those things, you feel unworthy. You feel like, I, I can't run after God. Why would I make that my focus? But let's think about Paul. Think about Paul, what Paul, who Paul was before he was this. He was killing Christians. Now, I would, I would take, I'm going out a limb here but I would guess that none of you are murderers here. But here's Paul who said that I literally, he killed Christians, enslaved Christians, killed the very people of God. Could you imagine the guilt and the shame that you would feel to realize all of a sudden that the very people you were killing are your brothers and sisters in Christ? And yet when you read the words of Paul, you don't see any hint of that. You don't see any shame, you don't see any of this guilt. Why? Because he had realized the gospel. See, the reality is that you are not good enough. But the good news is, is that Christ looks at you and he says, I know all your failures. I know all the things that you've done and I know all the things that you are going to do. And yet I have come that you might be mine. And when you recognize that, you realize that those past failures no longer define you. I'm not defined by the things that I've done, but I'm defined by what Jesus has done. Do you see the beauty in that? The freedom. And what Satan does is he throws a shame in our face. And you know what? You can look at him and you say, you know what? I, I did do those things. But those things are not where I am placing my hope. Because that that was the source of Paul's life. He says that I have a righteousness that's not my own, but a righteousness that comes from God and Jesus Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that God sees the depths of your sin, and yet he loves you to the fullest. But you need to understand something, that God doesn't love you just the way you are. He loves you despite the way you are. And what that means is that when God looks at you, the reality is, is that we are sinful. We are broken. And it's not some flowery thing that he's like, oh, you know, I, I can just overlook this. No, that's a reality, that we have sinned against God. But he says, despite that, I'm going to give you my son. And now our righteousness is not based on my performance, but it's based on Jesus' performance. And once we realize that, we can can have freedom from our failures because those things do not define us any longer. And so Paul was able to forget his past failures, but not only that, he was able to forget his past victories. Look what he says. He says in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He says in verse 12, I'm not already attained. I am not already perfect. See, Paul had a humble frame of mind. You would think if anybody had made it, it was Paul. This guy was planting churches, proclaiming the gospel everywhere. Hundreds of people were getting saved. And yet Paul says, I, am, I have not attained. I am not yet perfect. He recognizes that he has not yet arrived. You know, and I think that for many of us, what happens is we come into the Christian life and we start down this road. And at first we recognize like, okay, maybe I shouldn't, you know, be doing this anymore and we and we stop you know doing that and we realize like all right maybe I shouldn't be looking at that so you stop looking at that and you realize like okay maybe I shouldn't be drinking that and you stop drinking that and you keep moving and you keep moving and then you get to a certain point and you realize like hey I'm doing pretty good I don't smoke I don't drink I don't look at pornography this is I'm, I'm pretty much in head like I'm perfect already like what more could I need to do And what happens is we we start to travel along the road towards our sanctification, which is a big word for meaning our cleansing, our our process of being made into the image of Christ. And we say, you know what? I think I'm going to set up camp here. And what happens is we get comfortable. And you say, you know what? I'm doing good enough. But look at Paul. He says, I don't even even look at my past successes. I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing because I want to know him. And I realize that apart from him, I am nothing. And what that does is it keeps him humble because he's realizing I can always grow. I can always be made more perfect. And so you have to recognize that our sanctification is not an event. It is a process. It is not an event. It is a process. And we have to keep surrendering to that process. Each day we need to be asking, Lord, what what things in my life are dishonoring to you because I want to know you and if there's anything getting in the way of knowing you, please remove it. And that was Paul's aim. He said, I want to know God and I know that if there is sin in my life then I cannot know him. That will blind me to him. And so he made it his job, he made it his aim to make sure that nothing kept him from his goal of seeing Christ Jesus. And thirdly, the third thing that we can do is reach forward to those things which are ahead. I have a question for you and I think that this is something I want you to think about and really ask yourself, what one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters the most? What one change could you make in order to pursue the one thing that matters the most? There's power in making one change in your life. Maybe it means I'm just going to wake up earlier. Maybe it means I'm not going to hang out with this group of people. Maybe it means I'm going to read this book. You know, you have to stop and take stock of your life and ask yourself, how am I spending my time? Do I spend my time just doing mind-numbing things on my phone? How am I spending my money, if you have any? You know, what are you doing with the time and the resources and the life that you have been given? Because what you are doing shows you what you are aimed at. You can tell what a person values in life by their habits. Because the habits that you have are a reflection of of your heart. And what happened in Paul's life was, he realized that Christ had taken hold of him. His love was transformed. And so now... He wanted to know him, and he, he recognized there are things that I need to change in order that I may pursue the thing that matters. And so ask yourself, how can I begin growing in the knowledge of God? You know, knowledge involves thinking. You know, the, the Bible says that we, are, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are a lot of Christians who come to church, and they check their brain at the door. And they think that it's all about, I just got to love Jesus and feel the love and, and yes, we, there is an aspect of experiencing the love of Christ, but we love him with, with not only that, but with our mind as well. Because to know him is to love him. And so ask yourself, how can I learn to, how can I begin to grow in my knowledge of God? You know, for myself, when I go for a run or go to the gym, I'll, I'll put a sermon on while I'm working out. Or when I'm driving in my car, I'll listen to a podcast. Or maybe you have a group of friends and you say, you know what, let's let's make it a goal for us to memorize some scripture. And I'm not saying like let's arbitrarily you know, like, don't just let's just memorize a book, but be intentional. Say to myself, I'm gonna memorize the promises of God so that when I'm feeling like I'm not loved, I can remember who my God is. That's that's something that actually is that's powerful. Or maybe it means just picking up a book and reading a book. I know for some of you that might sound like suicide to have to read a book. But I tell you, if you read the right books, you will, you'll be hooked. And if you want any book recommendations, I can, I can give you some if you like. Try my best. But there are ways that we grow in a knowledge. I mean, look at Paul, right? At the end of his life, he told people to bring him books. Paul. Paul, even at the end of his life, he wanted to learn more. He said, bring me the parchments. Because he had a desire, he had a craving to know God. Oops, he had a craving to know God. But what about when we lose focus? What about when we lose focus? What about when I fail? What about when when I feel like giving up? When I just, I don't feel like I have that aim or that focus. I would tell you this, you must remember the one who hasn't. In Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7, is writing here about Jesus, and he says this. He says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. What Isaiah is talking about here is he's talking about Jesus Christ. And you see, what Jesus did is is he left his heavenly home He came to this earth and he had one focus, one aim. And do you know what that one aim was? It was that he might know you. But do you know what that involved? It involved living in isolation, living amongst, he said, the birds of the air have place to rest, the foxes have holes, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. He was homeless, he was wandering, and then when he finally gets to the place, all his disciples run away from him, and then he's, it says that he's beaten, his cheeks are spit upon, his beard is plucked out, but what does he do? He says, I, I set my face like flint, like steel. Jesus Christ, in, in the face of all these th- things, he had a single focus, and he said, I want you And I'm going to run towards that goal. And when you feel like failing, you must remember him because he did not fail. You know, earlier I mentioned, and this is the closing thought, I mentioned earlier, what is your I wish song? What is the the song of your heart that says what you want and where you are going? I think it's important for us to stop and ask. We've looked at the Disney characters. We've looked at Paul himself. But what was Jesus' I wish song? What was the thing that he desired? He tells us in Matthew 23, 27. He says this, crying over Israel. He says, how often I have longed, I have wished to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. You see, the wish of our Savior was that he might gather you to himself. And he cried because the children of Israel were not willing. Instead, they they put him upon a cross and they crucified him. But he went there because he wanted you. He wanted to gather you. And guys, when you realize that the desire of our Savior is, was that he might know you. The focus of Jesus Christ's life was to know you, then you can make that the focus of your life. There's nothing like that. To, to be known, despite all of my flaws, to be known, and that God would make it his mission to know me. And it's only because Jesus Christ has taken hold of us that we can make every effort to take hold of him. And it is only because God has taken hold of us that we can just run towards him. And so I pray that tonight that you would let the good news of Jesus Christ be beautiful to you. That you would stir up the affections of your heart. That you would look at the cross and realize what happened there. And know that he has taken hold of you, that you can now go and take hold of him. Let's pray.